I always like to say that common sense and respect get mm-hmm. you about 90% there to avoid sexual harassment claims. Welcome to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. Every two weeks, we meet and talk about what matters to you as a professional project manager. Whether you're a newcomer to the field or a seasoned professional, we offer opinions, advice, and real-life experiences from those who are right there in the trenches right now, and those who have been there before. I'm your host, Nick Walker, and with me are two who have been there before and lived to tell about it, Andy Crow and Bill Yates. And today, Andy, we're going to lay down the law when it comes to business and corporate environments. You know what, Nick? We're really fortunate to have an expert in an area that's on a lot of people's minds these days. Our guest is Sarah Lamar, a partner with the Savannah Law Firm of Hunter McLean, where she practices in the area of employment law. Sarah has experience in state and federal courts in the areas of discrimination, harassment, wage hour questions, breach of contract, and tort claims. She also conducts in-house training for employers and advises clients on a variety of employment law issues, including immigration and affirmative action. She received her BA degree from Yale University and her law degree from Emory University. Sarah is currently the co-chair of the State of Georgia Society for Human Resource Management Government Affairs Committee and a past chair of Alpha International, a global legal networking organization. Sarah, it is a privilege to have you here with us on Manage This. Well, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Now, there are so many topics that we hope to get into and when we could get into right off the bat, but maybe this would be a good place to start. We've seen over the past year so many publicized cases of sexual harassment and discrimination as more individuals come forward with complaints. Is this a problem that is becoming more widespread or is it just uh, uh, simply the reporting and the prosecution of it that's increased? Well, that's a a good question. Um, I think that uh, for the most part, this is an issue that has just been more widely reported and the awareness of harassment has increased over the last, really, uh, only since about October 15th, uh, which was when the hashtag MeToo movement went viral. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it had been a movement, it was a thing, uh, before October 15th. Um, The movement Hashtag Me Too was started in 06 by uh, an activist trying to address sexual harassment and abuse. But when the actress Alyssa Milano uh, tweeted um, on October 15th, uh, words to the effect of, if you've been harassed or abused, uh, tweet back, hashtag me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when it really took off and went viral. And that uh, tweet was about a complaint regarding Harvey Weinstein that had been reported in the media. Do you think 
There are still some people who don't really understand what sexual harassment is. I mean, is there a working definition we can go with? Well, yes, there's a working uh, legal definition, and I'll spare you the, the legal geekdom on all of that. But the the essence of it is that uh, someone is subject to unwelcome harassment, unwelcome behavior based on uh, sex that uh, creates a uh, severe and pervasive change in their working environment, and then there has to be a way for the employer uh, to become liable. That's the definition uh, that comes from federal civil rights law. Uh, there are some other definitions that come into play with criminal law or other claims, but that's the fundamental definition. Were you subjected to unwelcome conduct um, that severely and pervasively interfered with your working environment? And essentially, was the employer involved or did they know about it? Now, this is something obviously that project managers need to be aware of. They need to be thinking about it. And uh, so let's kind of go from, from that point of view. Uh, sometimes there are project managers and teams that are um, employees, employers, that sort of relationship. Sometimes they're private contractors that, that come together. Are the uh, definitions different or, or is it are the legalities of that different depending on the situation? Well, Nick, that's a really good question because the law is different depending on who is the uh, victim of the harassment. So, for instance, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits sexual harassment, um, only covers employees. Mm. So if you're an independent contractor and you feel you've been subjected to harassment, uh, that is not a route that you can take. So uh, you would need to look to state laws to uh, try to um, address concerns of harassment. So in the project manager environment, when you have all sorts of folks working together who uh, are not all in the same employer hierarchy, um, it, it becomes a more complicated proposition. And so if you have, uh, say, um, contractors uh, sitting in a room and none of them work for the same entity, and one does something toward another that 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 person thinks is inappropriate, uh, the lines are often gray about where that person would go to complain. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think in that regard, um, it, it really depends on the circumstances, how uh, are the folks peers, or is there a clear um, power uh, differential mm -hmm and uh, who else is there to make a complaint to. Sarah, I have a question for you, and I'm thinking it is so nice to have an expert in the room on this topic because this is, you know, this is so much in our face today in the media, and it's, it's such a, an important movement, but it also brings fear to the project manager of, okay, I don't know. What do I, you know, what's okay and what's not okay? What can I control? What am I responsible for? Project managers are very risk-averse, this is a huge risk. The good ones, the ones who have made it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Those who are still employed. Uh, so for the risk-averse project manager, let's start with the team first. Let's, let's, let's start out with the basics. So let's say I have a team 
the project managers leading a team of those who are employed by the same company, what advice do we have to that project manager to create a safe environment where uh, sexual harassment is not tolerated, it's communicated that way, and if there are any exceptions, anything that needs to be dealt with? So what advice do we have to that in that scenario? So for for starters, uh, I always like to say that common sense and respect get mm-hmm. you about 90% there to avoid sexual harassment claims. I, I also like to say that if that gets you 90%, not talking about people's appearance or their body parts can get you at least 5%. <laughs> further. (laughs) So if you take those um, basic tenets, you're you're doing fabulously to begin with. But beyond that, um, uh, making sure that your company has policies that prohibit sexual harassment. And let me just say there's other types of harassment out there too. So there could be religious, racial, um, national origin, um, ageist harassment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know that, that our focus this morning is on sexual harassment. So having policies prohibiting, <clears throat> excuse me, harassment and, um, making sure they are clearly distributed and understood by, uh, your staff. So, Unfortunately, there are some companies that have these very robust employee handbooks that might be 50, 75, 100 pages long, and they are on a shelf gathering dust. And if you asked anybody in management, uh, except perhaps the human resource professional, no one would know exactly what they say. So that's a problem. So if you're a responsible uh, project manager, the first thing is know what the policies say and make sure your team knows. Good. You know, that's that's a common theme uh, for project managers. A lot of times there's very robust methodologies that sit on a shelf. There mm-hmm. are very robust processes that have accumulated over the years. And one of the things that happens with policies and processes, they're rarely retired. They just get bigger and, hmm. and more robust, but hmm. then people uh, rarely pay attention to them. So then it becomes uh, a large issue becomes the culture. And people observe when they when they come into a work environment. They may know the policies, but people may or may not follow them. Well, you're exactly right. And and just going back to the policies for one minute, in, in my uh, litigation experience uh, when uh, defending companies who are in lawsuits for, for these and other types of claims, <clears throat> if it's not in writing, it didn't happen. Hmm. So one very important thing, uh, and this might not be the project manager's job, but the project manager, if they're diligent, should make sure that this has been done with human resources or somebody else, uh, that there is a sign-off on the handbook, that everyone says uh, that everyone's file has a note that says they have received this handbook because right. then at least you can say, okay, they did mm-hmm. receive the handbook. And in those policies, clearly saying, who do I go to complain to mm, is right. very, very important. And it can't just be one person. It can't just be the manager or the supervisor because they might be the problem. Right. So it has mm-hmm. to be a multiplicity of, of people. But getting back to your uh, point um, a policy is no good if it's not enforced, if it's not uh, distributed, if it's not understood. So I'm a project manager. Maybe we don't have a sexual harassment policy, but 
Um, project managers are not used to saying that's not my job in general. <laughs> right. We have to solve problems. So, Bill, what do you do if you're a project manager and you don't have a quality policy? You have to create one. Right. You have to write one, which tells how quality is going to be implemented on your project. Yeah. I don't think that's a good approach in this case to go write your own sexual harassment <laughs> policy just mm-hmm. based on... Whatever, whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever your values may it. be, right? <laughs> yeah, just pull something off the internet, Sarah. Let's let's take a company that's I don't know twenty people, and so it's big enough to be on the Equal Opportunity Employment Commission's radar. Um, you don't get a free pass because you're a small company, uh, but you also probably don't have a big, robust HR department being that size. Where, where do you start with something like that? So um, a couple of options. Uh, the first would be uh, going to a uh, human resource trade organization like SHRM. Nick mentioned mm. them before, Society of Human Resource Management. Um, they have a lot of info on their uh, website, and there are local chapters all over the country. Mm. Um, the the second option might be deemed a shameless plug for the employment lawyers out there, but uh, it is uh, going to uh, finding an employment lawyer right. who you can trust, who can draft something, and it does not have to be you know more than a couple pages, right. um, mm-hmm. and they can help you with other policies as well. So seeking professional assistance in preparing these policies because these are legal policies. They're not just feel good, hey, be good to each other mm. type policies. They are things that are going to be submitted to the EEOC or a court to say, uh, in essence, we did the right thing. We told folks about what was uh, allowed in our workplace, what mm. behavior was prohibited, and where to go to make a complaint. Good. Sarah, the project managers are accustomed to managing people. That's a part of the job. The stakes are just higher here. So let's say we do have our policy in place, and now that project manager observes bad behavior, and or it's brought to their attention. What steps should they take? Um, if a project manager sees a behavior that could be a violation of the company policy or just makes them concerned uh, that it's inappropriate for the workplace, um, I do not recommend waiting for someone to make a complaint because once the project manager knows, the company knows Mm. because the project manager is a representation of the company. And what the project manager does really depends on what the behavior is. Uh, Let's say uh, everybody's eating lunch together um, at the site during a break, and uh, one uh, peer says to another uh, an inappropriate comment, and the project manager is sitting there with them. That uh, best approach under those circumstances might be to say, hey there, don't say that again, that's rude, or that's mm. not appropriate for the workplace. That might be all the project manager needs to do to address that issue. Um, if something more serious occurs, for instance, one employee goes to the project manager to say, I think I'm being harassed, so this is what's happened, then the obligations are going to be greater on the project manager. And if you're a smaller company, for instance, and you don't have an HR department, then you might be the one doing the investigation. Right. And you might need to talk to the victim, the accused, any witnesses, 
Uh, so many cases these days involve texting and misbehavior on social media. Mm -hmm. So were there texts involved? Were there emails? Is there any documentary evidence? And then ultimately, uh, the company, whether it's the project manager or another investigator within the company, has to make a difficult decision about the credibility of the folks. Is, did this happen? Didn't it happen? And what do we do about it? So I've got a question for you, and this is a this is an interesting one in my mind. A lot of organizations that perform projects do it in what's called a matrix uh, uh, type organization. So now the project manager doesn't really, um, the, these resources don't report to him or her. They're a dotted line. So they have other managers who manage their career and manage their uh, um, benefits and things like that, their time, their vacation, their schedule, their training. But the PM uh, will manage them for a period of time on tasks. And so that's called a matrix organization. So during that time, um, I may report to Bill. He's my project manager. I have a dotted line to him in, in a sense. And it gets really complicated in terms of, but now we're spending 10 hours a day on this project every day. And so now do I report an incident to him? If I see something, if something happens to me, do I go to my manager? What, where does the project manager's responsibility begin and end in that? It's kind of an interesting question. It is. And, and when I do management training uh, for companies, uh, one of the, the um, points I try to get across is you may not be the person uh, taking this over the finish line. You may be just the person who reports it to uh, the employee's actual quote-unquote manager or to human resources. Uh, but your most important role is to report right. and make others aware mm. because then the company and the responsible people within the company can take action. And I would say probably in writing, wouldn't you? Yes, but by email, yeah. I mean, follow up. And, and there, the important uh, fact is promptly, hmm. immediately even, if someone comes to you and say, I think someone's harassing me, you need to not wait till the end of the day. You don't need to go on vacation first. You don't need to go to lunch first. You <laughs> right. deal with it and report <laughs> it. Right. Do not pass go. Right. Sarah, I want to ask you in this, you made a comment a moment ago that it's a bad idea to comment on somebody's body parts, things like that. Um, so I agree. Um, now, how does dress code play into this or inform mm. this? Does that have to be part of the policy? Does that have to be uh, well-defined and documented? Well, many companies have uh, dress codes, and uh, m many are written. Some are simply just kind of the informal culture of the organization. Um, if someone is violating a well-established dress code, then you obviously have a right to address that with them. Um, but if someone is dressing uh, in a manner that um, you want to comment on outside of that dress code. Maybe it's code. distracting. Let's right. just say that. It might be distracting. And and there have been scenarios where uh, folks are not complying with the dress code and they're wearing revealing clothing, and that needs to be addressed if it violates the dress code. 
We don't have a dress code here today, and it makes me wonder if we should. At the same time, I hate doing that. And then mm. how specific do you get? Because a lot of it's subjective, too, and that, that gets tricky. It, it is subjective. And and I've seen dress codes that, that get down to uh, no open-toed shoes, no strappy sandals. I mean, they can get very, very right. specific. Of course, if you're in a construction environment, right. yeah. you hope you're not wearing food service your, environment. Right, open-toed shoes. Sure. That's yeah, not good. Um, but I, I think the point about uh, dressing uh, and commenting on people's dress, this is what gets lots of folks in trouble, saying mm. not, hey, you look nice today. That really doesn't get people in that much trouble, right. nor should it. That's just a compliment, a very benign right. statement. But saying uh, more than that and commenting on, you know, how short their skirt is or how low their blouse is cut or even people's weight or how they've redone their hair, all those types of things can um, make people uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. it's just not... You don't need to say that to get the job done and work in a pleasant environment. That hair comment's interesting because I've probably done that. Certainly not. (laughs) No, I'm sure I've commented on somebody when they change their hairstyle. I love Um, your hair today, by the way. Thank you, Nick. (laughs) And well, and and people will comment, you know, when I come into the office, hey, you got a haircut today. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's so it's an interesting thing that that now comes into play that best just to. I have a follow-up on that, too. Another, here's one that I struggle with. Uh, what about the huggers out in the world? Oh, so, I'm so glad you yeah. raised that. So here, here's where I'm at with that. Um, for the huggers in the world, uh, my advice has been, and this is to me, I'm speaking to myself, now I just give high fives. Um, so I give a high five or a fist bump. Um, what advice can you can you help us out here? Um, I have no problem with high fives and fist, yeah. <laughs> uh, fist bumps. Um, I will say that the hugger, you call them the huggers, I call them the touchy-feely yeah, okay. types. And in my experience, um, uh, the touchy-feely types almost never mean anything inappropriate or creepy mm-hmm. by their actions. But they need to understand that in the work environment, a lot of people don't want to be hugged. They don't want to be squeezed around the waist. They don't want to have that handshake that lasts just a little too Mm -hmm. long. They don't want their um, shoulders massaged. Um, And it might all be innocent and a way of communicating uh, with people. Um, But in the work environment, you're in everyone in America is in a very diverse environment. They do not know where people are from what uh, background they have, what Mm. baggage they have, even if someone looks like you, talks like you, um, even acts like you, you don't know that they're like you. Right. So you can't presume that it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I want to expand on that a little bit. And this gets into that tricky area. Um, I've got a friend who works in a warehouse environment. And this warehouse environment is predominantly male. And... Uh, so the men are, uh, a lot of them are ex-military. They're rather physical with each other uh, in, a, in a, a type of uh, camaraderie, in a sense of camaraderie with each other. So there's a lot of touching, a lot of patting on the shoulders, that type of thing. Um, but they've decided that for the women, 
in that warehouse, there's zero of that. There will be no such contact, no such playful whatever. Um, and so the interesting thing for me is this creates sort of another problem in and of itself in that there's a camaraderie among the guys that develops and the women, uh, they don't touch. They don't shake hands. They don't fist bump. They don't hug. They don't do any of that because they're, they're scared. Quite honestly, they're trying to err on the side of caution. But now if, if I were a woman in that environment, in a sense, I would feel like I was being ostracized. It almost mm. creates another problem mm-hmm. by itself. How, how do you navigate that? Well, I th- that is an excellent point, and uh, I think that's a real phenomenon that can occur in workplaces where uh, there is perhaps a misunderstanding or a paranoia about sex harassment and uh, the treatment of different, you know, genders, women and men in the workplace. So I do think that's a potential problem that the the men may um, have a much more jocular, uh, friendly, informal relationship. And then with the women, it's much more formal. Right. And that could lead to concerns that are greater than simply harassment, because I don't think you have a harassment issue there. Hmm. What you might have is a concern over sex discrimination. Yeah, you have a boys club now. You have Hmm. a boys club and you then uh, promote the people who you're buddies with and not the ones who you don't know very well. You know, you don't want to go to lunch with the women because that may be seen as strange. So then you only go to lunch with your buddies and then you don't Hmm. know the women. So when it comes to pay increases and promotions and advancement within the company, you're not thinking of the women. Right. And this is all, of course, hypothetical, but, but I do think that's an issue. So trying to treat everybody <clears throat> the same consistently is really the goal and not going in one direction or another. Mm. I have a follow-up question on that. I'm so You prompted a memory of things. One thing that I really wanted to bring up. Project managers have a lot of needs for meetings. Sometimes there's a bunch of people in the meeting. Sometimes it's a one-on-one. And it could be with a team member, uh, another employer or employee, uh, or it could be with, uh, you know, with a contractor or with the customer. Give us some advice for, let's say it's a, a female project manager and she's meeting with a, a male team member who's a subordinate. You could flip it, but let's use that example. Um, is it okay for them to meet one-on-one? Is it okay for them to meet in a place where other people cannot see them? What advice do you have? <clears throat> I think it is uh, okay to meet one-on-one um, for either you know male boss, female subordinate, or flipped. But it needs to be just kept in the professional environment. I think that's probably best. So uh, in the conference room, in an office, um, and treat everyone the same. So right. if you're going to meet with a woman is going to meet with a female subordinate one-on-one, then I think it's appropriate to meet with a male subordinate one-on-one. If you're counseling someone or disciplining them, I would always recommend two managers mm-hmm. uh, in the room or at least a witness. But if you're just generally conducting business, I don't think uh, that you need to have a witness in the room with a member of the opposite sex. Good. I think that sends... A really difficult and and bad message. I agree, Sarah. I've got a question. I've been wondering the whole time. I've got my own theory on it, but um, if you don't mind sharing with our <clears throat> listeners, do you most commonly work on the plaintiff 
or the defendant side? I am the employer side, the management side. So um, I'm seeing things, uh, I see all sorts of different perspectives, but I'm usually defending the employer or one of the managers who is sued in these types Mm -hmm. of cases. Mm -hmm. With that in mind, back to the word subjectivity, you know, um, what is harassment to one person may not be to somebody else. We, we talked a little bit about that. But is the law subjective or is there a definite line that the law says you shall not cross? Excellent question. Uh, there are two parts uh, to an analysis of whether uh, harassment, which is sometimes called hostile work environment, is severe and pervasive to rise to the level of harassment. And those, there are two components. One is, um, the objective component and one is, uh, the subjective component. So to go back to the example, um, I mentioned, uh, I think earlier, if a boss says, you look nice today to a subordinate, I don't think subjectively, uh, or, or rather objectively, anyone would think that was rude and offensive. Subjectively, you might have a very sensitive person who does Mm. believe that. They might make a complaint, but it's probably not going to go anywhere because objectively they can't meet the standard. Mm. Um, The flip side of that scenario is, let's say, a boss makes an extremely inappropriate comment about uh, a subordinate and say what they were wearing or what they look like. And uh, that uh, subordinate doesn't care. She has thick skin doesn't bother her a bit, Does she's never going to complain to anyone about it. Um, so she might not meet those two standards, but her coworkers who have to listen to that type of comment, which would be clearly inappropriate, they may have a claim and they might complain. So it's two-sided. Fascinating. Sarah, I've got another question for you. I've probably got a hundred questions. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to <laughs> curate the these in my own mind. Um, How do you feel about the recent developments and sort of this idea of due process? Uh, There's a big discussion these days about due process, which involves going through HR, going through perhaps um, a a civil or even criminal action in some cases, uh, courts and discovery and all of that versus uh, Twitter, which now uh, bypasses that and gets it in the court of public opinion very quickly. How do you feel about that tension? As an attorney, I am uh, uncomfortable with the idea of trial by the court of public opinion because I believe in the rule of law and think there is uh, a legal process there to handle the issues that come up in our society. That said, um, I'm not sure the legal process did some of these victims proud with mm. respect to um, some of the who appear to be serial harassers right. like um, the Harvey Weinsteins mm-hmm. out there. And uh, Harvey Weinstein is being sued. He is being pursued criminally. Um, there are. And it took a long time for that it to happen. Did and there's, there's statute a, of limitations issues there. Well, under, and there's a lot of friction yeah. in the legal system, isn't there? I mean, yes. there's there's some resistance to making that happen if you're one of the the people who's a victim. I 
I think one thing we haven't um, chatted about yet is the fear of retaliation right. and why certain women did not come forward for so long, some decades, uh, with respect to the complaints about uh, Mr. Weinstein and others. And one of the concerns is uh, that they will be retaliated against and their career uh, will be compromised if they make waves and they complain about powerful people. Hmm. And uh, that's one thing that I think companies and project managers uh, specifically for this podcast can do uh, to uh, alleviate some of those concerns in the workplace is to consistently apply the policies that you have and uh, hold people accountable uh, when they violate those policies, because then folks will know if I complain, they're going to take it seriously and they're going to do something about it. Sarah, I have one other scenario. I've, I've been the scenario guy today, my apologies, but I've got another one that I can relate to. I remember as a 20-something-year-old project manager, uh, we were on site quite frequently at our customers, and um, our team was there. And uh, we, if in some situations, we would observe behaviors from either contractors or from our customer where the eyebrows are raised and we're like, oh my gosh, I'm glad we don't do that. How do we react? So what advice do you have if it's, if it's outside of my employer-employee relationship, but I'm working with contractors or working with a customer and I see behavior that is just inappropriate? Well, dealing with customer um, inappropriate behavior is a great challenge because right. you are the vendor, right? You don't want to anger a, a customer unnecessarily. So um, one approach, uh, and this depends on your relationship with a customer, but if you see a customer do something, say, to another contractor, so not your chain of command, uh, if you have a good relationship with that customer, you might say, you know, hey, man, uh that probably isn't the best thing to say to that person. And you know the whole hashtag me too. Maybe mm, you don't mm. want to do that. Right. Maybe you should cut back on that. If you don't have that kind of relationship, it may be something that could be handled at a higher level. Maybe you tell your boss and that your boss tells the customer's boss. That's another scenario. I, I had a, a um, client tell me years ago about a, a story. It was a hotel business and a customer a guest at a hotel was riding down the elevator with a Hispanic bellman and the supervisor of the bellman in the same elevator. And the customer made some extremely inappropriate comments to the bellman about his uh, Hispanic heritage and being an illegal alien and, and really mm. very, very offensive. And the supervisor was paralyzed did not know what to do in front of this guest mm. and uh, was very embarrassed for his subordinate, but didn't wow. do anything. Mm. And uh, later it came up at a training session, what should I have done? Right. And and I think the prevailing wisdom on that is the supervisor should have told the customer right then and there, mm. you know, right. sir, uh, we don't appreciate that type of talk to our subordinates. Um and then maybe put a little red mark next to that customer, mm -hmm. that visitor's yep. right. uh, name for the future if they want to check in again to that mm -hmm. hotel. So sometimes you confront directly. Sometimes you go around. Mm. Um, other times you perhaps empower the person who was the subject of the comments to right. say something. Yeah. 
Sarah, I, let's let's do one more hypothetical for fun here. <laughs> I've got a consulting company. We've got 500 consultants traveling all over the country. Um, how should I, as the owner of this company, approach dating among employees? Is that something we mm. should turn a blind eye to and say, well, you have to figure it out? Is that something we have a strict policy, no dating your coworkers? Is that even legal? Can you do that? Can you prohibit your employees from engaging in romantic uh, uh, relationships? Uh, a, a private company can certainly have a policy that prohibits dating among peers or, uh, you know, folks in the chain of command. Mm. Um is it uh, something that you can enforce is another question. So uh, there are lots of, of no dating policies out there. Some are extremely strict, saying no dating whatsoever. Others focus more on the subordinate uh, supervisor relationship. And those are the ones that I think make more sense and are frankly more practical. Mm -hmm. So policies that prohibit uh, a supervisor or someone higher in the chain of command from dating a subordinate. Uh, and if it is found out that they uh, are dating, then they have to be separated. And I've even seen and written policies. Separated professionally. Professionally. And I've even seen and helped draft policies uh, that say, uh, if you don't separate yourselves, if there's not another place you can be within the company, transfer, et cetera, so you're not in the same chain of command, then the company will make that decision for you, wow. which yep. may end up having somebody lose their job. And that is going to be upheld by the courts? Well, I, I can't say that I've ever litigated that issue, but it, it's the employer cannot it's a really bad idea to have a boss dating a subordinate mm -hmm. i agree yeah, uh, it yeah. gets tricky though if i'm friends with one of my employees on facebook and i see that they change their relationship status with another employee and we've got a policy against it do i waltz in and say you've kept it really professional at work but i don't like this and i'm gonna <laughs> step in. It gets well, I, I think if it's a boss subordinate and the employer knows about it through social media or otherwise, um, it should be addressed because mm. um, it's great when everything's great. But then when they break up, yeah. then suddenly you hit that unwelcome mm -hmm. uh, item yeah. in Everyone what's here has seen that. Too. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Everyone yeah. here Everyone. has experienced that. Mm -hmm. But you raise a fantastic point about social media and what bosses know about subordinates mm -hmm. uh, because being friends on social media. I, I actually am somewhat old school and believe that supervisors should not be friends with their subordinates on social media. I agree. What is social media? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, some just, you know, stay away from it completely. Well, but then you get into yeah. LinkedIn and LinkedIn is, yeah, a, is supposed true. to be more professional. And so I do accept LinkedIn requests from uh, from any employee. But mm -hmm. I typically don't extend them, but I'll accept them. But um, mm -hmm. I deleted my Facebook just to stay out of trouble. Well, another uh, interesting area is the group text. Mm -hmm. And I have found in the last couple of years that the group text is everywhere at the workplace. And unfortunately, a lot of group texts don't just stick with work. It's not hey, let's meet at the water cooler to have our safety meeting today. Mm -hmm. It's, 
what about politics? What about the elections? Then it turns into joking. Then it turns into inappropriate behavior. Mm-hmm. And if the boss, it's bad enough if, if the boss is, isn't on the group text. But if the boss is on the group text and is part of those discussions and is aware of that, that, that means the company knows and ought to do something right. about it. Mm, that's an interesting scenario. That is. Instant messaging and group texting. There's so many different ways that we communicate all the collaboration tools that we have. And it's easy to get down to that level. I mean, it's just a couple of steps. Somebody makes a comment and suddenly you're in an mm-hmm. area that you're, mm-hmm. okay, wait a minute, time out. We, we got to avoid this. So that's a great point you bring up. And more and more um, companies and departments are communicating by group text. Yeah. It's quite extraordinary. Mm. You know, Sarah, this has been a helpful conversation. You used the word paranoia earlier, and I can tell you from personal experience, a lot of people are facing some degree of paranoia. Uh, It's because it's been so heightened in the media. It's because there's so much scrutiny and attention, and there's a really good side to that, that it's focusing a much-needed spotlight on a real problem. Uh, On the other side, it leaves a lot of people wondering, because we can't keep up with all the case law. We don't right. know all mm-hmm. of the rulings and all of the current twists and turns uh, from the courts. And so it becomes a question of, OK, do I err on the side of safety? But you know what? You can go too far. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. On the side of safety to where now, like you said, it feels like there's a boys club or, a, uh, you know, mm-hmm. even the inverse of that. So this has been a helpful conversation. Uh, thank you for it helping really us navigate this. And it's very possible, Sarah, that uh, there's an employer listening that uh, would like to take advantage of your services. How can people, <laughs> or may you? need to or take they, advantage? They probably should. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How should people get in touch with you? Oh well, um, I have an email uh, that is slamar at huntermclean.com, or they can look me up on our firm website, um, and I'm happy to. Uh, answer any questions from folks. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Great, great. This has been a fascinating discussion. We want to leave you with a gift. We always like to uh, make sure our guests go away with something tangible. This is the Manage This coffee mug. And I don't know about you, but I've never met an attorney who does not drink coffee. Yeah, that's Uh, very true. (laughs) I haven't either. (laughs) So enjoy Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you for being with us, Sarah. We want to remind everyone that in addition to bringing you knowledgeable and interesting guests, we also provide a way for you to grow in your professional development. We're offering free PDUs toward your recertifications, and they're yours for the taking. Visit VelociTeach.com and select Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click the button that says Claim PDUs and just click through the steps. That's it for us here on Manage This. We hope you'll tune back in on July 3rd for our next podcast. In the meantime, you can visit us at velocityteach.com slash manage this to subscribe to this podcast, to see a transcript of the show, or to contact us. And be sure and tweet us. That's at manage underscore this if you have any questions about our podcasts or about project management certifications. We are here for you. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep calm and manage this.